up, everybody? Stumbling in after the holiday weekend and uh, my crazy bear encounter on the trail. What to tell, tell us about, about it? At some point, we encountered a bear on the trail, <laughs> and we survived and lived to tell about it. So, uh, yeah, round in, round in the corner on the trail, and uh, thankfully, our our dog may have saved us. Um, he wow. he took off after something, and we round the corner, and there's a bear standing in the trail. <laughs> uh, so, bear goes down the hill. Dog comes running back to us. Bear comes back up to the trail. We back away, you know, make a lot of noise um, <laughs> and wait it out a little bit. Bear ends up, you know, scurrying down the hill, but he goes to the bottom of the hill and, and the trail still winds around. So we're going to, we still got to go that direction. And uh, so we just start talking to it and tell it to move on and, and let us pass through and, and uh bear, chased it again and, and got it off the trail and we passed on through so yeah was the black uh, bear yeah i you was know, gonna was... ask what kind of bears are in arizona <laughs> <laughs> mainly black bears um, yeah so first first bear encounter but we survived lived to tell about it and no. <laughs> and uh back again for another episode of breaking brains building hearts with chris McAllister, james royce and me brett burchard um yeah where do we go from there we've been talking about uh the mindsets yeah we're on mindset catching four, confetti and, no more uh, bear stories um, man yeah well it's funny because we're on the uh this week the visionary mindset and uh, yeah, I've I've lived to continue the vision I have for my life, <laughs> which there's is a, a good thing. There's a comedian that uh, he talks about that idea that you're supposed to lay down in front of a bear and pretend to be dead. He goes, "That sounds like it was made up by the bears." <laughs> <laughs> like laying down, we, just eat me. I'm right here. We backed up off the tr- you know back around the corner just kind of waiting it out hoping it would leave and we started talking about this like which which bear are you supposed to play dead for <laughs> is it the black bear or the grizzly bear <laughs> oh i guess wrong next- <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> right uh, so uh just to move on a topic uh the visionary mindset talking about um having a vision for your life and in What's out ahead and, and who do you want to become? Um, and I know this is going to be a, a key one for you, Jimmy, just as we've um, worked together and, and tackled different projects and, and worked with different problems. You know, I feel like it always comes back to vision for you um, as kind of a guiding light in, um, of what you're supposed to do now and where you're headed. And I know, Chris, you really value just the visionary aspect of, of leadership. Um, so I'd be interested, maybe just Chris, start with you of, of where the vision, visionary mindset would fit in, um, for you as far as, as first being a leader, but also, a just a high performer and what it does for you to, to bring out the best in you all the time. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I just, uh, went on like a little walk real quick, right before this in between things. 
and I wanted to solve a problem. And and what people don't realize is a you may not be solving the highest order problem because while I went on that walk, I got a text, and that text is connected to some invoices that you know a company I want them to pay and some snags. And so I've got that issue, but I've got the bigger issue that I want to solve. And it it really does come down to desire, right? I want to solve this issue that's on the phone, but but there's a bigger issue. So I set the phone aside for a little bit. I sent a quick text right before we kick this off, but dedicated that time to an exploration of what's happening in me. What do I want? And what a lot of people don't realize is much of what they would call vision for their life is just taking someone else's should and them trying to generate motion around someone else's should. What we call with course sight shift a passive identity. Very few make it to an aggressive identity where they go, okay, well, I don't want what they want for me. And they're defining out of that negation. And it's just, it's rare, but it happens that people capture the essence of the vision of who they are, who they can become, what they can do in the world. And if you can tap into that, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be perfect. But that's that's the idea. So when people want like, okay, make vision really concrete. What do you want? And how do you see that at the highest level possible so it has as much gravitational pull as possible? Um, yeah, I could go on too much. And that's, that's where it seemed to me to like, it, that leads into like the motivation, right? That's That's creating or stirring up the intrinsic desire which is always the more powerful motivating force in the long run. Um, so getting, getting understanding of that, like what do you desire? What do you want stirs up that, that intrinsic motivation? Would you say that's true? Yeah, totally. I mean, that's the thing that is, is getting unblocked rather, rather than trying to gain motivation, you're unblocking it. Now motivation changes. So that's why you got to check in with yourself, stay, keep your awareness growing because what you were motivated for yesterday, you may not be motivated for today. And what happens with the hustle culture that's so toxic is it it caffeinates and hypes and powers through getting a real read on what you actually want. Mm-hmm. Jim, you got some head nods there. What, what yeah. sparked? No, I love everything you guys are talking about. I mean, my experience with vision is really in helping clients implement and execute, right? And it doesn't really matter where they are in life or age or what problem we're trying to solve for, whether it's personal, business, whatever. You know, this I think to Chris's point, yes, desire and want. And and yes, also to your point about motivation, we have to also account for change. So, you know, the thing that I might add to this is this idea of values, right? So vision tends to follow your core values. And knowing what you value is is one of the first steps, right? To what Chris is talking about, not just following someone else's should, right? How many of us read books, listen to audio books, or listen to podcasts and gather information that sounds good, makes sense, maybe is even inspiring, but then we look for ways to make it fit into our lives. And, you know, if you're if you're trying to make it fit and it's not, you know, one of the easiest things to do is go back to those core values that drive you or the core values that mean the most to you right now. Mm. Uh, I just celebrated my 
29th wedding anniversary with my bride. And, you know, with no more details. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) It was it was a chance to reflect on the values we had when we were first married, right? Mm. Uh, and we we didn't plan well, so we were you know struggling from day one. And those experiences then to having a family and raising a family, and now to having uh, two girls who are now uh, close to uh, creating an empty nest here for us. So your values change. It's okay then if your vision changes. It's okay then if your desire changes. But to Chris's point, make sure it's your own. And then leverage all the things you've learned over the years to make sure that you can architect uh, as quickly and as uh, meaningfully that uh, plan uh, forward uh, as you can. So yeah, think about your core values. Think about the things that matter to you today. Think about the things that will matter to you in a time period that makes sense, right? For me, I'm thinking about the empty nest. What's that going to look like in a couple of years? And and, uh, don't be afraid to redesign that that vision based on the values that matter most. And then you can back into exactly how you're going to execute against those core values. I love what you, what you're saying there about like finding out your core values and not just the stuff that you've read in books. And that sounds good. And you think you should be doing one of the, one of the things I've started doing with athletic coaches this year was like drilling down into core values and, probably met with half a dozen coaches already who had a bunch of, you know, core values that, you know, that their coach who they played for used or the last coach they worked for used, you know, the things they saw the New Zealand all blacks use, you know, whatever. And they try to force it onto theirs. But when stuff gets really difficult, you know, they can't really lean on those values because it's not theirs. You know, right. and so helping them figure out, okay, what are your, and it was, it's an awesome story. I'll share with you just quickly. Um, went through this process this summer with a coach and he's like, man, I've been trying everything and I've got so much happening because I played for a good coach in high school. I played for a good coach in college. I'm trying to incorporate everything I learned from them into this. And it's like, okay, let's lay all that down. And then who are you? Like, they've obviously shaped you and and taught you something. Now, who are you and and what's the best that you bring to the table and laid out his core values. And then first week of the season this year, like he had crap with his, with his team, like crazy, just extraneous stuff, not, not basketball related that he's had to deal with already in the first week of the year. And he's like, had I not learned those core values, I would have been scattered. Like, I don't know how I would have, navigated this, this conflict or this issues. Um, so it's so, so powerful to be able to drill down and, and figure out what are those things you value? Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. It reminds me of, you know, it reminds me of just the way that I make decisions, the way I run my life. I mean, it's easier for me to avoid the complexity of life and decision-making and opportunities that come my way when I'm able to assess them against just some of those firm values that I have decided matter most. So they become bright lines that that I don't cross. They become filters that I view the world through. And, you know, the, the young version of me used to, I used to not want to filter things out for fear of missing out. And, you know, the uh, more experienced version of me uh, is, you know, happy to filter things out 
Because I recognize the importance of focusing on things that matter most to me. Yeah. You know, and so it doesn't, and it doesn't just have to be, I don't want people to misinterpret core value. It can be whatever you value. I mean, when I, when I changed my career the first time, uh, I made a list of it. There was 25 or 30 values on that list that my next gig had to meet. And, you know, since experiencing the last 15 years, I now have a new set that's going to represent the next 15 years for me. So, uh, yeah, that it, they create that bright line and make those decisions easier. And then, of course, the actions that are required to create the outcomes that, that, you're, that you're looking for. Chris, you've talked about this some like um, kind of like your life in decades and how, you know, those values change or, or upgrade as you go through different phases of life. Yeah. Yeah. We used to do this exercise that we would get people to like close their eyes and go up on top of a mountain and see like the next decade out as the next range and decade out range, 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 the five, six, seven mountain ranges out. And, and there were two points to that exercise. One was showing them they could work on their focused and peripheral vision at the same time, which while we were doing that with them in a visualization, their eyes are closed, what we call it any space, it still would have an immediate impact on their leadership, which dudes, I got to share with y'all because learning more about how much you can actually change your emotional state by how you change your vision. Uh, recent um, neuroscientist on a, a podcast that was just like fantastic that accentuates this idea. So with values, it's like you want this wide angle and this zeroed in place at the same time, and then you're you're looking at you know what? How do I want the next run to be? What do I want to go after? And it doesn't mean it won't change when I get down on the valley floor and I'm crawling through something I didn't plan on crawling through. I think the other piece of this that's massive is are your values coming from a place where you're trying to gain something to feel whole or or you already know your own wholeness. So it's kind of like prior to everything that you know we know sight shift is in my work on awareness and 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 learning my insecurities my values were all about achievement. So the focus of my values is about achievement. Well, do I still want to achieve? Yes. Is that still who I am? Yes. But I'm not seeking to achieve, to feel whole. And so actually I discovered some deeper values. And so part of the vision process to protect yourself from the ways you'll ruin your life is to imagine what are the things that would test your values the most? What if I had to choose between presence or achievement? Well, I'm going to choose presence. And because you can do that work and you can forecast out and imagine how your values are going to be tested, you can actually future-proof the development of your character so that you're ready. You're not caught off guard when those tests happen. You still have to make those hard choices in the moment. I mean, it's not that easy, but it is possible. And that for me is like, vision, you know, in its most beautiful sense, you're imagining something that hasn't happened. So Chris, um, in the context of the test, is it, uh, is your test the same as asking yourself, what are you willing to give up 
to get there or what are you not willing to give up to get there? And when I think of that, I think in terms of values. So which values are you willing to give up to achieve success? Which values are you not willing to give up to achieve success? Will that, will those values that you identify that you're not willing to give up kind of help to, to ground you in that and create that presence? Yeah, well, I, I think though the the easiest way to get there is to first and foremost figure out like what you don't believe about yourself. You wish it was true, but you don't believe it's true. That you belong, that your performance doesn't equal your worth. You know, whatever. That you're smart. Is. Yeah, baby. That you're creative. Uh, uh, all of smart those things. Enough. Yes, dude. I mean, you know, in my head right now, the things that are just like, yeah, Chris, why can't you get this? Why is that taking you so long? So then you reverse engineer it from your funeral. You actually imagine what are the things that I want people to say about me? You and getting hard. that, yeah, exactly. They're going to say about you the essence of who you are, that you are a performer that you accomplish things, you know, for both of you guys, they're going to have an accolade list of things to read off. But what happens to you when everything goes upside down? Who are you in that moment? If you picture none of it working out like you think, what would you still want to hold on to about the character of who you are? And you zero in on that, the tests are still going to happen, but you've already put some effort into what that choice is going to be, you know? Yeah. You know, Brett, I want to challenge you with something um, yeah. because so much of sports is about achievement. Mm-hmm. And man, if anybody talked to a, I can imagine if anybody talked anybody talk to a team the way Chris just did, hey, it doesn't matter if you hit your vision or not, we're still going to love you. Focus on what people are going to love about you. You know, it, it might be counterintuitive, right? At the very least, but at worst, it would be, you know, it would be, uh, it would be fire worthy, right? It would be uh, just unacceptable to talk about the what if of not winning. So I guess what it brings up for me is this idea of, to Chris's point, you know, and Chris, I'm sensing that, you know, you've got a vision that has been a challenge to achieve. Is it possible, Brett, to choose the wrong vision? Is it possible to aim too high? Is it possible to do something, um, choose something that's unrealistic? Now, I, I recognize that, I can, to Chris's point, I can choose something unrealistic and strive my whole life to get there and still be satisfied with the way I played the game, with the way I executed day to day. But for those folks out there who are thinking about vision in the context of an achievement, are there any warnings or warning signs to make sure that we don't choose a vision that, or you know, we can choose a vision that outstrips our potential today? But that we, if we're trying and seeking and, and attempting a year after year, having a, having a tough time, is there, is there a time to, to rethink that, to maybe recalibrate? Yeah, I'm glad you brought this up. You know, one of the things we, we do with, uh, with our work with athletes and coaches is we kind of refocus the, the goal setting exercise where most of us set our goals around achievements. And we say, we're going to set being goals. So rather than goals around what do you want to achieve, it's goals around who do you want to become? Um, 
And, you know, I think, I think achievement goals, you know, there can be like little stepping stones or, or kind of, you know, chart your progress uh, on a path, but really the driving force is, is the being goal. Like who do you want to become in the process? Um, in the, in our book, I tell the story of my freshman year of college basketball, our coach comes in and, you know, and makes us all write team goals together. So, you know, the team meets and all the players, we come up with our goals and, and then coach, we present them to coach and, and they're all, you know, the typical goals, right? Win the conference championship, you know, best defensive team in the country. One of our goals was we want to be undefeated at home. And he asked this question. He said, what happens if we lose our first home game? Then what, you know, are we going to cancel the rest of them? You know, do we quit? Is that the end of the season? And like, that struck me as like, you know, goals can be really fragile, you know, or if, if our whole mindset was just to win the home games, well, shoot, let's just schedule a bunch of, you know, terrible teams and play them all at home and we'll get, un, you know, we'll go undefeated at home. Great. We accomplished our goal. But who did we become in that process? Like, did we become better as a team? Did we become, uh, you know, a tougher team or, or a team more capable of achieving the things we wanted to in the process? So, um, yeah, like focusing to me, focusing heavy on, achievements or, or titles or roles you can you can cheat your way there backstab your way there politic your way there you know you can deform yourself on the way to achieving the goal you know that's where i try to challenge our athletes and coaches okay who do you want to become and then and then in that process of becoming even if you don't achieve whatever the thing was you set out to achieve like you're going to be satisfied with who you are um, and probably do amazing things anyway because of the, the qualities you've, you've developed, or at least a life well lived. A, a, a satisfied being overflows to a doing that needs to express itself. Mm-hmm. So people that think of a person who's satisfied in their being as someone who's sitting on the porch watching time pass away and happy to just kind of hide away their potential is, is just not any, I've never met anybody like that. I'm sure that person exists. Now my first leadership experience at age 21 through 25, 23, I lose track of time, 21 to 23, something like that, um, was in a second poorest County in Indiana. And there were a lot of people that sat on their porch and, and weren't capturing the fullness of their potential. And, and I'd ask them why. And uh, I remember asking this guy why one time, and he said, I'm happy being a peon. Exact words. Didn't want the responsibility because there was so much shame and trauma and struggle in his life. When someone has that, you know, everything we've talked about to these other three mindsets, there's a capacity in their doing that, you know, that enlarges. Now, are there people who set giant lofty goals just to hide out from the daily accountability of progressing and marching towards something they're passionate about? Yes, there have to be. I personally have never come across one. However, I have come across so many people that are are failing 
to go after the fullness of what could happen in their impact that are that are you know even if they've done the work of starting to care about their character and values and get that dialed in on the being side of things um the doing they they haven't yet spoken out loud thought it even felt it what if i did this with my life what if i tried to do this at the company what if i tried to go after this goal and uh you know who knows i could be a fool chasing something that is never going to happen i don't have to have it happen to be whole but the chase of that pulls the best out of me and that part to me is where i want to live at the edge where those you know feedback rich moments happen mm-hmm. what do you hear jimmy uh you know i live in the world of um we invest money, we need to return. You know, we invest our time, we need to return. And, and, and so I, I, I'm processing Chris, Chris's comments in, the, in that context. And, um, you know, um, I work with a lot of very, very successful people who can't deal with goal setting. They just, the minute the goal is created, uh, whether they create it or not, they have anxiety and stress and they become dysfunctional. They hate their life, they hate work. But without that goal, with just an intention or more of a vision statement, or just to your point, I'm just going to show up to work every day and be as creative and productive and learn as much as I can every damn day, come what may. And so for them, the vision goal is uh, that's more effective is distilled into those daily activities uh, and the way that they're going to be or you know live their life. So I think it's... Um, I think it's it's an interesting conversation. I think the people that I work with would want both. You know, they want to achieve while being the human beings that that uh, they envision. And the idea of achievement for a lot of them is is really important because of the impact it has. Right? Um, when you when you have when you think about impact, you you think about having an organization of fifty, a hundred. 5,000, 500,000, you know, how much impact do you want? When you think about feeding one person or sending one kid to college versus sending a whole community to college versus over a 20 year period having employed, you know, 100,000 people over that, or that represent 100,000 families over that time, how many kids did you send to school? So scale does, um, you know, create impact and impact, you know, can be one of those things that folks really want to make sure they have. Um, but I do, I do recognize, recognize Chris's point that, you know, the, in my mind, there are more instances where if you allow that goal of achievement to drive you, you're going to be more inclined to cut corners and um, allow your values to be compromised to get there. So, you know, I totally dig what you talk about is who am I becoming while I'm achieving? Uh, and if we can balance that, I think that's going to be the trick. But there's a lot of companies today that are looking to balance that. They have a great business model. And more importantly, they have um, a great model for how they treat talent and, and, and actually humanize the workforce. Uh, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. I love how you said that, uh, who I'm becoming while I'm achieving. 
you can do both. That's cool. I think one of the biggest losses in the, I'll close with this, but one of the biggest losses in the sports world was Kobe Bryant not living long enough to fully explore the Mamba mentality that he, he, um, he presented to us, you know, because most of us now take on the Mamba mentality as the the killer that he was with the Lakers, you know, and all that he was able to accomplish with that. But the little bit we we saw of him and and who he was becoming in retirement, I assume that Mamba mentality would have morphed a little bit, and he would have he would have seen it from a different angle. And uh, I think that would have been healthy and good for for all of us to hear from. So. That's powerful. I, I mean, yeah. the, 30 seconds on this. Chris Bosch put out a book, Letters to Young Athletes. Mm. And it's that idea of speaking to them where they are now, as I, I haven't read it, but just listening to him talk about it, speaking to them where they are now from his perspective. Now. Yeah. Be powerful. Awesome yeah. stuff, Thanks, guys. Brett. Always good conversation with you all. Uh, next time we'll hit the focused mindset where the vision becomes realities. Uh, looking forward to the next one. Outstanding. I need it.